0: So, um, okay, I
1: get it. It's still the I mean,
0: Antoine, Antoine, the... Who else is there? Uh, I mean, as I said, it's still still very early days. The likes of uh, uh, Steve Baker and I think
1: Sahawi and um, some others have, have put their sort of hat into the ring, but they're probably not terribly likely. No, but, if John is John right, but if John is right, Sahawi doesn't stand a chance. He's very bald. true.
0: Very true. Very true. Also, also uh, Javid has the same issue. You're right. Perhaps Hunt. Hunt still has a good head around him. Well I think the fact I think the, the the fact that a couple of the bolder candidates are also um Asian candidates could sort of could swing that their way because there's an area of novelty there that could carry them through and like a, a sort of a wider support base that they'll appeal to because there's quite a lot of conservative vote in you know not all not all um black and ethnic minority british citizens vote labor there's quite a good you know number of people for a competent candidate in that mode to swing, to to pull towards so it could be an interesting one I think they might there are also several complete loonies Um, so my hope is I'll just go for someone sensible and um, yeah, uh, someone who will actually just be an intelligent, uh, not an extremist kind of um, the Tories need a middle of the road person normally to win elections as do Labour, because in in the United Kingdom there's a there's a, a large number of centrists who will vote either way, and if you have someone who's in, who's on the on the f- more on the right or on the left, you're basically cutting down the electorate. You're not you're not going to get more votes unless we're in times of extreme crisis. So Thatcher was very right, but that was during a, the last real significant economic crisis, and you know the perception was. You needed someone to smash the union, so you know. In that respect, we had a, a probably the most right-wing prime minister we've had for a long time. Boris was not far right. Boris is more of a one-nation sort of unify the country Tory. Despite I think what people say about him. Um, so there's uh, that's who they that's who they should pick rather than you know you, some of the more extremists, Priti Patel, hardline tight Should they stay. Yeah, but John, I take you point. If, for those saying that Boris needs to step down prior to the leadership election, uh, they should remember that it would most likely be Rob running the show um, until then as the Deputy PM.
1: Oh, do, would you not like those press conferences with someone being so sentimental. Uh
0: My feel, I kind of, I kind of feel that he's he's resigned. They ought to follow the protocol and what happened previously with may and other leaders and given the situation we're in and it's sort of i don't see the problem with him carrying on until the next tory leader is elected and i think they can probably do that a little bit more quickly than normal but um i think we're we're in a press frenzy in this country the the legacy media is an absolute feeding frenzy so it seems really weird that um that
1: it's, uh, john it's the summer there's no football
0: yeah it just seems strange that he's 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 resi- you know this idea that what if he does some spite what if he turns into another trump and some of the questions that are being asked on the. i mean i'm no Boris fan don't get me wrong but some of the questions that are being asked on the mainstream media by qualified journalists you know what if he turns into another trump and tries to prorogue parliament or refuses to go and see the queen. It's just ridiculous. It's insanity. We're in a significant international and financial crisis. So his, you know, he's got a lot. We need a unity government. He's not, he's appointed a broad range government, all of whom are going, right, we're here for one reason, to to establish stability till the next prime minister's elected. It just seems very strange for the media to still be, um digging that hole now that they've got what they wanted. And I don't don't have a horse in that race. You know, I'm not, no big Boris fan.
1: No Boris, mate, but uh, I think we've all seen the descendants of Fleet Street defending on him like Fleet.
0: I think I just wish people would have a little bit of context about what's happening in, in Ukraine and the East of Europe right now. And just be like, okay, this is someone with, who's a figure on the international stage. It's, it's like if, if, if this was, um, if we were facing down Hitler, right? We, you know, in 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 retrospect, we have this sort of history of the Second World War where everyone came together and 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 all this great unity happened, and that wasn't the case. You know, there were quislings, there were there were people under there were, there were there was corruption, there were cowards, there was people undermining the government, there were there was all kinds of stuff going on that isn't reported in, in, in history that much because we have this image of us all standing together. And I think we're in a similar situation now. And it's, it's fascinating to see how easy it is to, to just lose, from my perspective, to lose the context of what's happening internationally and, and to just be able to, all right, we've achieved this short-term goal, he's going, now let's get back on with the job of dealing with this significant international issue. Uh, that's just i mean i don't want to draw british politics into it so that's the whole point is it shouldn't really be an issue for me i think we should just move on i guess but
1: yeah well, I, 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 I well, it we, we can we can provide comfort we can provide comfort to ukraine that one thing will not check the significant commitment one can see in daily life in the uk from north to south from east to west to ukraine from you know flags in the gardens and raffles are here and there and collections and support there is no way that british society and that the british armed forces british politics will step back and not support uh, ukraine it's just not happening and what whitehall doesn't bloody change
0: no i think my worry is that the media you know the media has an agenda and you know i'm familiar with media and and the british culture and stuff so i sort of know how that works the media's agenda is is generally kind of to the left of the british public itself and if you think about people on the left of the labor party the greens you know these aren't people who were supporting the kind of militaries i'm one of them so i know these aren't people who were supporting the kind of military spending that would have facilitated what we need to happen in ukraine we wouldn't even have these weapons to give if we'd have had a left-wing Labour government, or or more Greens in Parliament. Um, oh, not? I, I'm not? one of those people. So those people do exist, and they exist in the media, and I'm worried that you see this kind of frenzy, and it, it is detracting from... I mean, imagine if we had, we had British troops on the front, and they were doing this kind of stuff, and we do have British people out helping Ukraine right now. You know, there are many lives at stake here, and so I just feel it's... You know, some of the the political agenda of some of those people is not to have a military. It's not to have nuclear deterrent. You know, it's to significantly pull those things back. And I know, because I am one of them. I was one of them until this thing happened, and I've I've learned a lot over the past four Mm -hmm. months. And and so that it it is, I think it is. There is a there's a slightly more sort of insipid danger there that is part of this. Press feeding frenzy, and it's not just in the UK. You know, you're seeing some of the stuff in Germany, uh, where there's a big sort of peace movement, and that, you know because of the consequences of the Second World War and the Green Party and stuff, and and other parts of Europe. I think that builds into that, and that is the challenge. You know, as as John Lennon and Yoko Ono were asked, you know, what would you do if Hitler came along? They didn't really have an answer for that. Yoko's answer was to sleep with him, and and the peace movement. It is a difficult, you know. Sometimes we, as one of the people, we're put in a difficult situation. It's and it's and and a lot of the press are in that kind of political mode, so they're pulling the agenda away from it. That's my concern. You will hear lots of positive voices about we still support Ukraine, but there's there's another agenda on on in some areas of British politics that that are less going to be less. Uh, fortitudinous as things go forward. That's my worry about it.
1: Well and we should be lucky if uh, the Tories keep on going until they finally uh, have found uh, who they can work with.
0: Yeah and I, I do think it's, uh, it's it, people on the left such as myself and Green Party members and people who have been part of various peace movements in the past need to now stand up and say all right this is a situation where we need to do something, we need to readdress the situation. We need to start spending some money and putting some support here, and we need to be steadfast. And this is going to be a long-term thing because we're battling evil. This is evil, actual, worldly evil, causing incredible harm to people right now. And we have to be, be a little bit more, you know, we have to show a little bit of metal here and readjust our own politics. And people on the left generally aren't that good at that kind of thing. i speaking as one of them. So I think that's my worry about it. And I think that's where a lot of the press agenda is coming from, the sort of the feeding frenzy that we're seeing, which, and I'm worried it might be a distraction from what I see as the bigger issue. But yeah, for now, you're going to have a Tory leader for the next two years, unless there's an election anyway, and they, they're going to support Ukraine. And hopefully by then, this will be over.
2: I, I just know that, you know, even in the Labour Party, they're really fringe. Like, Corbynites are now even more on the fringe than they have ever been before. And... It looks like the main the mainstream of the Labour Party has very much disavowed them, and there's a reason why they're keeping relatively quiet, you know, Corbyn and, and his mates, um, because nobody wants to listen to them, especially not in Ukraine. And I think that that says a lot about you know the the quality of the Great British public.
0: There's an interesting thing about old horseshoe theory as well, because there are there are some other sort of eccentric right wing figures like you know Jordan Peterson, who's been, and other people like that who've been. You know, less than lukewarm about this the situation. They need to take action. And then on the on the left, you've got Corbyn and other people that are, you know, equally equally, you know, less less than convincing about it. It's fascinating how 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 those people meet uh, meet around the horseshoe, around the back of the sort of centrist politics. It's been interesting to observe that um, too. But yeah, I don't want to start a new non-Ukrainian politics discussion, but that's just my. Since you were talking about it, that's my two cents. And thank you for hosting the stream, everyone. It's uh, As always, it's uh, it's a great But the host,
3: you think,
4: is just, Johnny, I think you're right. And it just shows also, uh, not all of those people, some people are just stupid on their own account, right? And there's some incentives for them in that. But they're targeted by Russia uh, just indiscriminately, right? It just shows you that the extreme right and extreme left are just, just the prime targets for for Russian narratives or Russian influence uh, operations. I'm not saying every one of them is influenced by Russia, but they're used by Russia for sure. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it's an it's interesting. And I think it's cross-cultural, right, in the West. It's uh, it's seen in, in, in not only in the UK, but also in the US and in other countries. I think you can see it.
0: Yeah. Winter. Very much so you seen it in Fox News on the right you see it on you know the 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 American senators that refuse to support various ukraine bills that are relatively you know progressive otherwise progressive senators and I'm speaking as some of politically you know my formative experience was the minor strike in the north um you know I met jeremy corbyn when i was a, when i was a, at school it was it was it was the most amazing experience to meet him as an m p and um you know it, so i'm I so grew up in I'm that grew world. up in that world, and it, it's been amazing. Also, now to see how fragile it is when it's really tested on the international stage. But then again, you know, if you say that sort of thing, you're hated even more that, by them than the Tories are, because you're now part of the the uh, the betrayal, <laughs> the great betrayal of the left, or whatever. You, you know, people hate the their um, people that leave a group are hated more than the group's enemies psychologically. Tom will tell you all about that. And there's all kinds of reasons for that, but um, yeah, it's been it's interesting. See, I just I just hope the centre holds in all this, um, and wise heads prevail in the Tory party, which you know is quite a big ask sometimes. But I think they need someone who's a personality and a character uh, to carry uh, a wavering electorate, but also sensible at the same time. And that's an unusual mix of things, isn't it? Johnson clearly wasn't that he had the personality and the bon viveur but he didn't have the personal integrity um you know which is why someone like rory stewart would have been interesting
1: right now
4: right let's go to crypto roast. and Doman is trying to reconnect he's having some issues uh with the connection uh, right now but let's go to crypto roast
1: thank you uh, i was just going to say uh, whilst we're on the subject of politicians i thought it might be appropriate to mention
3: some news from today um Fairly high-profile Moscow City lawmaker, Alexei Goranov has just been sentenced today to seven years in prison for publicly speaking out against the war. Um, just saying this is, this is fairly significant. It marks the first time an elected official in Russia has been convicted. Um, yeah, uh, not really
1: uh, sign up for discussion, more is just a point of the news because uh, I haven't heard anyone else mention.
4: Yeah, and uh, how, how uh, many days ago this guy, what was his name? I wanna say Wavrov but of course that's not his name. Uh, so uh yeah I'm not talking about him, I'm talking about the Arctic uh um part of the Gazprom uh chief, former chief I think, uh committing suicide. Uh, yeah, yeah, a- Yeah, so uh yeah, I I don't think they're eliminated. as I said just just an hour before. I don't think they're eliminating key people. They're just targeting people who will send an enough signal to the key people that you have to watch yourself, right? All right, Doman, let's do a mic check. Mic check. What Mike is it check. with
2: this mic that you always have to check it?
4: His No, like... it's
2: just it's just how I pronounce mic check.
4: Yeah. I actually like developed this uh, this uh, twitch, uh, whatever you call it. When somebody says mic check even outside of the space, I, I Kind of have like this urge to respond to it. So, uh, yeah, it would be helpful if people would pronounce my name. Uh, I mean, so most
1: you have of... a, you have a spatial anomaly?
4: Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, most of you actually do a pretty good job.
1: <laughs> most of you. Some of you are really bad.
4: Yeah, but I won't name any names because I will min- mispronounce the names. So, uh, it will happen uh so interestingly, uh I'm just saying about things that have so so posted. The, have we talked about the um, the statement from the Luhansk oblast uh, chief uh, about them not seeing the operational post that uh, uh, Ukraine? i mean Russian but of course it's the, the we're talking about the Ukrainian administration. For anybody. So the statement says that not entire uh, entire region is occupied by the Russians, but they are again in a hurry to report on the complete capture of the region. Uh, fighting is still ongoing uh, in two settlements of Luhansk uh, region. There is no operational pause on the part of the Russians, the shelling does not abate. Additional tank units of the occupier went into battle. It is difficult to leave Luhansk region, but it is possible through the territory of Russian Federation to other countries of the world. Uh, Russians demand money for passing through roadblocks. They do not have clear tariffs. Ukrainian mobile communication in the region is disconnected and critical infrastructure in cities and villages that uh, that seen hostilities destroyed almost uh, 100%. So that's the situation according to Lugansk Oblast uh, chief for the part of the Ukrainian uh, administration. Do we see the operational post? What's our our take on that, on part of Russia?
1: Well, not on the artillery side. Uh, In terms of mechanized forces, infantry movements, yes, there has been a a downtrend quite literally.
4: Right. And what's um, what's the status of the... Because I've seen discussions on that and I think they are ongoing still. What's their ability? Because we know uh, some people are saying this for so long time that the main uh, like shock troops, I don't know if you can call it, the, the troops that were used, like infantry that was used to, to take Sevego was was basically people impressed uh, or forcefully impressed to, to Russian service from the LNR and DPR. Uh, how many more do they have to... Basically, how is the how deep is the human resource there? So for the Russians to avoid conscripting and uh, pressing into army like eth- someone they would consider ethnic Russian,
1: I have no visibility on that. But also, I have no real proof that uh, what is being rumored and bandied about as a rumor. The main force was, uh, uh, say, press gang people. Some of them were, that we know. There is certain evidence of it, and not just anecdotal. And they used them specifically to identify Ukrainian positions by sending them up front as cannon fodder. That is true. That has been evidence. But the term main force, that I think we should be very careful with. There is no evidence which we've seen so far. There uh, There was no statement also from the Ukrainian armed forces highlighting that this was the main force. I'd be very careful with that. But uh, to the other part of the question as to how long can they go on and whether there are still human resources there, absolutely, there is still people who reside in these areas and who are at, sort of say, military viable age, albeit that some of them are reasonably old, meaning my age, and as a consequence, uh, they should never be serving in that format anymore unless they defend their own country. But in this case, they're pressed to Kill their own country, so
4: it's very hard. All right, Domen. So uh, I have a question for you. I was asked about today about the perspective of different countries ratifying the acceptance acceptance of uh, Finland and, and Sweden into uh, into NATO, and everybody in Poland thinks that. I mean, not every- No, that's that's just a completely wrong way to put it. But people that were asking me the question were thinking like there is going something will happen on part of Turkey. They won't do it, and they will again blackmail everybody. And I just don't have that that perception. I don't think it's gonna be a big issue going forward. I think the differences were just ironed out in uh, during the Madrid summit. But maybe I'm wrong. What's
2: your take on that? Um, if the question is who's the last one to ratify Finland-Sweden, yeah, it's probably gonna be Turkey. I mean, I agree. I agree with that. Is that is
4: that the question? Did I misinterpret? No, kind of. But the question is 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 kind of different. Is there a possibility for them to delay the process significantly? Domen, Mike, check. Oh, somebody's not right. So Dorman, uh Dorman is out for now, and uh, he'll be back. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, he, he's this type of guy that always comes back. Uh, Clyde. Just joined us uh, Has his hand up, Clyde Michael. Uh Meckle, sorry, uh, you have the mic, please.
5: Thanks. And I apologize. I just got on if this has been talked about or the wrong time. But at some point, could there be a discussion about what the heck went on in Germany yesterday? They basically voted to close their nuclear plants, apparently, and fire up the coal plant. Um, uh, if you've discussed this, I'm sorry. I just got on. So, um, But, you know, that doesn't seem to be very helpful for the war effort or otherwise. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that.
4: Axel, uh, so have you heard the question?
1: Various votes yesterday in the Bundestag. What is true is that uh, the current German government, in its uh, wide-ranging wisdom and its ideological bent, still wants to continue in closing the remaining nuclear power plants and yes the the decision to utilize more of its coal-fired capacity which by the way makes sense to do so as an interim measure uh, has been reaffirmed but then again this could have been done differently anyway but uh, that is not the worst of it it is just uh, the, the fact that they are still unwilling to see the necessity to rely on nuclear power because it doesn't fit into their ideological framework and that is the current government.
5: Is there a significant opposition to that, or does that seem to be just something oh, that's just... There is. There is. There is, quite, there is a significant
1: opposition to that. The whole conservative uh, opposition uh, and a part of the um, uh, government participant, coalition partner, Free Democrats, a part of that party is actually very heavily in favor of nuclear power. But, uh, so to say, the equivalent of the chief whip of that party for the sake of continuing the coalition, wants to hold it together and wants to try to avoid that this uh, issue, um, say, bolts the coalition. It's obviously crazy, given the fact that uh, this is an issue of national security. It should not be party politics. And by the way, other parties and other politicians in the past have sacrificed mere coalition governments and uh, political expediency on the field of national security, unfortunately, the current free Democrats do not live up to that uh, challenge and do not have that moral fiber.
5: Thank you. I just, just to just to um, uh, just so people don't think I'm um, picking on other countries, the United States just vote just, just the administration just got done basically canceling all le- new leases in the state of Utah and offshore drilling in the Atlantic and the Pacific. So. Uh, uh we keep handing putin sledgehammers somehow but
1: whereas we should be using the sledgehammer on it
5: yeah correct I'm...
1: thank you
4: thanks cj is trying to connect i think you need to restart cj uh if you hear us because because there 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 are some issues connecting axel was there, this, there was a vote about uh, armoured carriers uh, that's actually reported in Poland, is that, is that correct?
1: Yes, that is correct, and we discussed it at length during the night, respectively. I, I sent a note out during the night in that regard, and then I further, a little earlier today, gave a, a little summary on this matter, because most of the European press hasn't quite caught up to what it actually means. Right, uh, yes, vo-
4: and what it actually vo- means? That-
1: well, it's very straightforward, but not simple. And it's unfortunately very complex. But if you were to try to reduce it, I apologize, because I have to race through a shop now. So you'll have to bear with me. Um, the opposition party tried something futile, and by that means completely doomed to failure. Uh, they wanted to try to push the government to, to say no. Um, I mean, potentially say yes, of course, and find the majority to hand over 200 Fuchs, which, are, uh, which is a specific armored uh, vehicle which we call Schwerpanzer. It's a very decent piece of kit and it's currently in use by the German Bundeswehr. But uh, the chief of, if you so like, the equivalent of the chief of the armed forces, what we call the General Inspector, uh, General Inspector of the armed forces, had already stated clearly that uh, based on his assessment those tanks are in use uh, in order to provide uh, deterrence and uh, are necessary for the general service capacity of the Bundeswehr. So rather than taking and pus- pursuing those assets, which are freely available from Rheinmetall, such as the Marders, and from other allies who are willing to sell them, such as Le- Leopard ones and Leopard twos, um, the German uh, opposition, the cdu CDsu uh, deemed it sensible to go after this piece, or these pieces of kit, which, while some of them, you, we I would think one could spare. But then again, if the general inspector says he can't, then I will not tell him, who is certainly more experienced and certainly more capable than me in these matters. Nevertheless, I do challenge his opinion on logistics. um, When he says that these are not available, the trading and this leads to a statement by the Ministry of Defence already on that day still trying this for political expediency is outright, shall we say, stupid. And it uh, deals a heavy blow uh, to the awards the credibility of the opposition because they they lost that vote which was evident that they would and it was completely utterly futile. So you didn't have to do that in order to showcase that the government has ill will and uh, the government is doing the wrong thing. You could have just simply said, we want to affirm the vote, which the whole Bundestag had taken, which went, as you know, 486 to 100 beforehand. Let's reaffirm that and let's specify that we are hereby authorizing, if not requesting the government, to allow the export of marders, leopards, and other pieces of equipment. If that were the case, that's a reasonable case to be made. And that might actually have, um, say, a potential for success because you could lure away some of the votes of the Free Democrats in order to support that. Unfortunately, uh, the grandees of the Conservative opposition saw fit not to do so. Yeah, great. I'm a, Thanks. I'm that. quite sure that Polish media and every other media in, in Europe have gotten it completely wrong, as most media has this morning when they were complaining that yeah, the promises right. had not that's... been fulfilled.
4: Yeah, Yeah,
1: because these tanks were never prompted. They were never even requested. They were just something which is suggested. And they make a lot of sense. Yes, technically, they are superb. They fit perfectly. And I'm sure if you were to look at one of the wish lists from the Ukrainian armed forces, what they would wish to have, Fuchs would be on it. Absolutely. It should be on it. But if it's not as an expediently available reserve there, then so what? And give them other kit, other pieces of kit which are equally worthwhile, if not more. So.
4: Yeah, thanks for that. That's, that's quite interesting. So it's futile uh, in a sense so when it comes to Ukraine. And it was futile from the start, but maybe from, if you look from a cynical political perspective, they were actually successful in presenting the image that the, the German, you know, uh, at least the coalition is unwilling to to help, right? So uh, uh, I don't know if they will be disentervise to uh, to to not do that again. Right, Dominic. The, jo- the,
1: the German opposition. You should never assign malice or great strategy to something which is just pure stupidity. <laughs> yeah. Right, guys, I
4: have to go now. Uh, have a good one, and I'll, I'll join you later. I hope. Bye, my team.
2: Um. Axel, CJ, I've got a question um, that Ben asked me, and I don't know how to answer it, but I think it's a really good question. And Ben's asking: Could it be, in regards to this um, operation operational pause, did um, the Russians have to use the logistic space available for ammunition, and thus lack the necessary fuel for offensive action?
6: I think it's a, an important question in terms of figuring out what's what's stopping them. Is it you know? First and foremost, a loss of uh, trained personnel. I mean, with Sverdanyetsk and Lishishank, they lost something on the order of 7,000 soldiers. And that's on top of all the other losses. That would be maybe my first area to look at. The second would be fuel, of course, as you said. And the third is, you said, ammo. So, I mean, they can continue to attack without much ammo. It's not uh, unheard of. I mean, it's what they did in the first phase of the war, where they attacked without much supporting artillery. But you're kind of right, I think. I think maybe fuel would be the greatest limiting factor because even if they're not, uh, you know, doing these Blitzkrieg-like bounds where they're going 10 to 20 kilometers a day, still for a majority of the day, the vehicles are on and burning fuel. And also if they're shooting their artillery from their self-propelled howitzers or moving their guns around, that's taking up a lot of fuel. So even just uh, moving very slowly, 500 meters to a kilometer a day, is actually burning through a significant amount of fuel. So I wouldn't be surprised if a fuel was the driving factor in slowing their offense.
2: Um, technical question, CJ. In one of these self-propelled howitzers, do you need the engine on to move things around, right? Like change the elevation of the gun and swing the turret and so on?
6: Yep, and to shoot in any capacity. So otherwise, it's just a sitting hulk that's um, you know, basically unusable.
2: And one would guess that, especially the older Soviet ones, are not particularly economical, right?
6: No, probably not, and that's the thing. Even if they're, let's say, they're low on ammunition, um, based on all their ammo depots that have blown up, and let's say, you know, the Ukrainian counterfire capability and long-range artillery is making them make some hard choices about when they actively want to shoot. They can't um, just—they have to be turned on regardless, all day, twenty-four-seven, either for you know that deliberate, you know, once-a-day fire emission they might be doing, or to escape from Ukrainian drones and fire as well. So they're really in a situation where they. the, at least the artillery pieces all have to use fuel. And the majority of their artillery pieces in this front right now are of the self-propelled variety. And so that's you know one of the disadvantages by bringing a large mechanized force to bear is even if you're not moving, you're still heavily reliant on fuel. Understood. Thank you, CJ. Um, CJ, while you're here, uh,
2: what have you, put it this way, which ammo dump going up in flames over the past um, 12 to 24 hours has, has impressed you the most?
6: The most impressive one is uh, not even a fuel dump or ammo dump. It's the logistics hub in Kupiansk. I mean, it's something I think Axel has talked about many times in the space. But it's sort of this key area far north of Izium that connects you know, Kharkiv and the Luhansk Oblast and allows Russia pretty much, even though there's not many people in this area, to quickly move troops, ammo, fuel um, to and from different places. And it appears that the bridge and the requisite equipment in that area has been destroyed which is, it could not be understated how significant that is. Uh, not only to bring fresh troops to the front, but also to get troops on rest and recovery and recuperate. So now you have a lot of Russian troops that were supposed to go home that are stuck, and a lot of Russian troops that were getting ready on their side of the border that can no longer get in. So that's a very key juncture that, in my opinion, is probably more significant than uh, any single fuel or ammo dump. Yeah,
1: Kupiansk is key. It's no question.
6: And the other interesting thing I'd point out, maybe Axel wants to speak on this. I wish I I know Chuck was having some audio problems yesterday, but what I really wanted to ask is, you know, with all these things blowing up all across Russia, there's also something that's going on. And that's a lot of bridges and trains being taken out, Um, ostensibly not by artillery strikes, because these things are very difficult to hit. So it seems like under the cover of numerous explosions while the Russians are scrambling to, you know, try and intercept these missiles or figure out what's going on. Again, these HIMARS come in at such a high angle and such a speed. That the people on the ground nearby don't even know if the thing, um, you know, just self-exploded, you know, was sabotaged or if it was hit by a missile. And in this chaos, bridges are being blown in this chaos. Things are being um, sabotaged in a very effective way. So you're getting like twice your bang for your buck. Uh, Whereas beforehand, these things were very difficult to hit um, because, you know, Russian attention was focused on defending them. But with their entire airspace filled with missiles and all their everything on fire it's really interesting how a lot of key infrastructure has gone down in occupied Ukraine that's going to play a huge role in the coming week.
1: Twice the bang for the
6: buck. I'm
1: sold, CJ. What else should we know about the M270? Well,
6: I, I really want to see the, the pictures, of course. I know the Ukrainian uh, defense ministry has posted that they're they're being actively used, but we have not seen uh, any uh, evidence yet. So, and that's perfectly fine too. I mean, these things are a very high priority target and they're very, they're much slower than the high bars and they are much more distinguishable. So they're not, uh, you probably won't see as many fancy videos as we've seen of the high Mars, which you can kind of camouflage to look like a truck and get out quickly. But in any case, um, you know, really it's, it's going to come down to, I think the next week or the week after next, I'm not sure what the German media is reporting. Um, I know they they did some deliveries early despite the rest of them being very, very late. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Mars also come up to action pretty soon. I, I remember reading mid July. I don't know if that's correct or not. We have the same level of men. yep and as we were saying as well, you know, this is causing so much fervor and, and um, chaos on the Russian side. Not only are they, you know, begging uh, the peop- the civilians in the territory not to post videos of the strikes for fear of they'll get even worse. Which again is not they're not uh, correlated at all because these strikes are precision guided. They don't need people on the ground. Uh, they don't need drones to, to guide them in. They're going to do it all on their own. But you know, between Russians saying they're running low on ammo from these strikes. Russia is saying don't post the videos and now reports that Russia is, you know, trying to figure out ways to jam or disrupt satellites that are GPS that are helping. I mean, I my limited knowledge in this area is there's so many satellites, there's no way that they could affect enough to really make a difference. But it just shows you kind of how desperate they are to make this stop. And it's only been going on for about two weeks. All right. Looks like we're trying to get another co-host here. Axel is cooking a delicious Estonian-German hybrid dinner, I bet. I know Dolman's trying to fix his audio here. Axel, what are you cooking uh, tonight in beautiful Tulane? You wouldn't
1: believe we're going to just have some decent red wine on the terrace with a bit of ciabatta and sausage, and that's it. And we'll take Italian sausage for tonight. So it's a completely simple meal for simple people on a Friday night. I can't compete today with a cooking adventures Dolman is to be going after. And given the fact that I know that there's many people who are currently not eating in Ukraine and were somewhere in the fucking trenches eating MREs uh, from time to time on Friday evenings, I really only want to serve bread and wine.
6: With that in mind, I guess I know, you know, if anyone wants to come up and speak, I'm unfortunately going to have to go soon here. But I guess you were talking earlier about the the fuchs and all these other things. I just I'm sort of just uh, curious from a sociological kind of level. You know, we already know in Ukraine, Schultz has been somewhat uh, turned into a diminutive term. I wonder, like, how, because of, you know, Germany's part in the war, how they will remain in the Ukrainian zeitgeist, maybe forever. It's it's very interesting to me, you know, after this war is done, kind of what Ukraine will think of everyone else that either helped them or, or didn't help them along the way.
1: Well, the interesting thing in that regard is also, maybe, for that a large part of German industry take companies such as Knauf, we talked about it, if you remember when Caleb was on, and um, that he had reported on the strike which the Knauf factory uh, close to Solidar, or actually at Solidar, had taken and that hit. Uh, Knauf has been in Ukraine in various locations producing sheetrock, which is important, of course, for construction. There's many, many German companies, small, medium-sized companies with lots and lots of employees in Ukraine, and they are providing for their employees at this point in time, they are paying them uh, salaries, they are trying to save the equipment, they had to move. Um, There is thousands of German companies in the country. There is massive support by Germans and uh, German companies. It is this government and that is what needs to change. Because the support which has been given so far, if you look at both the amount of money which Germany has given, that's okay, that's fine. It could be more, it should be more. Yes, but it has been something. And yes, it has given not just these stupid helmets, and these are important too, as you know, and plate carriers and all that kind of jazz, but it has given a lot of ammunition. It has given grenades. It has given anti-tank mines, very, very good ones. It has given Panzerfaust. It has also allowed Panzerfaust to be sold, and these were extremely helpful. So it's not that they haven't given stuff. The problem is worse. It is much worse. But Germany has the key in many to unlocking the military power Ukraine needs to win. Germany has it. Germany has both the money, it has the capacity, it has the availability of systems which can be game-changing and which are available and which, look at the Leopard 2s, we've been discussing this all the time, do work with diesel significantly more properly, do it, uh, have a different supply chain, have the requisite uh, capacity, the speed, uh, the the versatility, the resilience, the defensive capacity, and they have a decent gunning system. And the Ukrainians are great at tank gunning, as we now know. So essentially, Germany could, by doing more than others, as it should, because it can, it has a moral obligation to do so. And failing this moral obligation is the key, which, of course, for long, long, long years will work
6: against uh, against the perception of Germany as a good ally, which is tremendously bad and detrimental. No, and that's why, you know, I'm always careful when we're talking about these things, because they are so influenced by outside sources trying to push a narrative of that there's too much gradualism and so on and so forth. And I tend to put these aside and get down to the truth, which is why we, of course, love the Walter Report, because we'll, you know, kind of get away from the biases that exist and, and talk about what is going on, really, and then what needs to be done.
1: You and I discussed If you remember the day, what's it now, three weeks ago when the Germans came out with, with the list of all the equipment already given, because obviously they became a little bit defensive. And this list is quite comprehensive. It is very, very comprehensive. There is a lot of good kit on it and it's massive in terms of the components. But still, as I said, compared to what it can do, it doesn't do enough. Trying to get Doman back up. We have Mark, Jason, and Clinton. Let's start with Mark, then we go to Clinton, then to Jason, and hopefully Doman is there
7: too. Mark. Yes. Hi, Axel. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, just real briefly, I didn't have anything informative to say, but I just really wanted to compliment the host and the co this morning. I, I, I've been listening all morning, and I've just been in awe of the conversation, how informative it is, how fun it is with the banter going on. I, I started listening to Walter report back in February and honestly I was a little concerned that uh, maybe the audience wouldn't last more than a, a couple of months and here we are five months in and I think the uh, the information given in a co-host host are, are are even better than it was back then. So. If you ever question the sacrifices you guys make to keep the space going, just I for one, I, I really am in awe of, of everything you guys are you guys are doing and um, the sacrifices you make. Thank you. Clinton DeVille here.
3: I uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak. Uh, contributor to these spaces and an avid listener to these spaces. So I do value them tremendously. Uh, contributor to uh, Troy newspapers and magazines in Canada, the Hill Times, Medium, and City News uh, Radio Network. Um, I think one of the things that we've talked about in this space, I've heard some people mention it, or at least I think I have, uh, in recent days, and we've touched on it a little bit this morning. Uh, I think one of the things we need to do in regards to this illegal invasion and war of aggression being waged by Russia uh, is for all of the nations, specifically Europe, but also North America as well, to really work at reinforcing our uh, our internet uh, our internet system in our respective countries. And I think it's also really important, again, it's not connected to Ukraine per se, but if we look at uh, the massive power that occurred in Texas uh, over the winter, for example, you know, that's an important lesson for all of the nations to reinforce their infrastructure, to update their infrastructure on our telecommunications and our, our electricity networks. And that's because in Canada this morning, for example, um, all, all one of our major uh, telecommunications companies is essentially shut down across the country. Uh, many banks across the country are not able to access uh, the Internet, uh, debit machines. Simple transactions like uh, crossing through a toll road uh, is not being accepted. So there's a uh, across Canada today. Uh, Now, it could be and I'm not I'm not saying that this was done by Russia. But if we look at yesterday, for example, Canada announced uh, new sanctions uh, against individuals connected to uh, connected to Moscow and connected to Putin. And it could be a coincidence. But here we are facing this massive internet out so i do think it's important for all of ukraine's allies uh to seriously start uh, considering uh you know updating our basic infrastructure things that we need uh, in order to sort of for our day-to-day lives i know that seems silly in the face of uh in the face of uh you know what ukraines are facing on the ground today but the point is is that um you know Moscow could unleash. Uh, you know, uh, cyber attacks is the word I'm searching for. I apologize. They could uh, unleash cyber attacks on Ukraine's allies. So I I do think that that's an important uh, thing that we need to consider and that our governments need to start uh, putting more resources in. So anyways, I just want to say thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak. I'm going to place myself on mute and listen to everyone else. Thank you,
2: Clinton. Um, I think you're quite right. Um, It's important to have more resilience built in right maybe that 's a good way of putting it Re- more resilience built into everything really uh be it energy in terms of energy independence, be it in terms of um, you know making sure that your infrastructure, such as telecoms infrastructure is a part of infrastructure, um being sufficiently resilient against these sort of cyber attacks as well um, and Canada today is just you know, one more example um, of course, it wasn 't just the additional sanctions yesterday, but also Canada being. I believe the second country after Denmark to have ratified Swedish and Finnish accession to NATO. Right? Maybe that had a little bit to do with it as well, uh, moving moving it maybe slightly higher up the target list. Jason. Yeah, I was going to
6: ask C.J. a question, but he seems to have left. So uh, I'll try some other. Time.
2: You can still try to ask the question, but um, I'm, I'm I think that you know that it's uh, not going to be nearly as well answered. Yeah, I asked it before, but I, I did ask. Thanks. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, hopefully, we'll have uh, CJ back sooner rather than later. I think he have to go I don't know, jump out of a plane or something. That's only half a joke, because actually, Raymo might have had to. Um, we have Tabasco up with us. Hi, Tabasco, Papi. Haven't seen you in a while. I'll join in later. Okay. Fair enough. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is the Walter Report. It is mid-afternoon in Europe. It is depending on where North America are, sometime in the morning. Um, we are here to talk about Ukraine, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and the genocide that the Russians are perpetrating in Ukraine. If you have anything um, to ask about or comment on along those lines, please click the request button in the bottom left corner of your screen, and we can bring you up and talk to you. If you would also be so kind, this goes to everyone, uh, to share and retweet the space, uh, possibly by clicking the button in the bottom right corner of your screen, possibly a quill somewhere else, possibly some other way of sharing it, or just go to the Walter underscore report account and retweet um, the last tweet that uh, shared the space out, the quote tweet, you know, add some hashtags, tag some people, tag some people in the space, tag some people whom you'd want to see or hear from in the space. Uh, that would be great, um, because this way we can reach out to more people around the world. In major news in Ukraine today... Uh, several more Russian ammo dumps and uh, similar logistics infrastructure went up in flames. Um, Notably one in Novokakovka as well, which was a more extensive uh, Russian army depot, including vehicles, um, fuel supplies, ammo, etc. Novokakovka is, of course, in Kherson Oblast, upstream from the city of Kherson, lying next to that dam across the Dupro River. Uh, And Ukrainian armed forces in their Kherson counteroffensive are slowly but surely approaching the city of Novakakovka as well. There have yet again been explosions reported from uh, the usual place, Chernobylevka, uh, and there have been some humorous suggestions made that uh, Ukraine should make one territorial concession to Russia, and that is Chernobylevka airport, uh, just to make sure that Russia can uh, keep losing uh, more and more military equipment even after this war is over because that might be for the best for everyone else and it would give Ukrainians uh, a good place for some additional target practice uh, even after they've kicked Russians out of the rest of their country. Again, uh, just on a side hopefully-
3: note, there's some sort of a Twitter glitch. I apologize, if I have to interrupt you. Uh, we're not, de- or at least I'm not able to tweet out uh, the space like I normally would, and I'm always happy to do so. Uh, but Twitter's not allowing. Uh, it to be tweeted out so I don't know again I don't know if that's an internet issue if it's just a Twitter glitch but there's something occurring on my end here and i as you know I'm a regular participant and attendee yeah, in this space
1: Clinton uh, if you look at the top I don't know whether do you have an iPhone or Android uh,
3: it's an iPhone
1: okay so if you look at your screen which should probably be white On the top of your screen, you have the leave uh, in red, then you have three buttons, and to the left of the three buttons, uh, you should have this wonderful arrow. Um, If you can see that one, you can share through this one because it gives you the options invite via DM, copy link, and share via, and you have to press share via, and then it gives you the selection option to go back to Twitter, share via Twitter. It's super complicated. Uh, but it's the only way some iPhones with some Twitter, iOS in some countries currently can do that. The wonderful little thingy on the bottom right, which was before and there, to easily, quickly share, that's gone for many people.
3: Yeah, thank you for uh, notifying me of this. It's weird because it, yeah, I had it yesterday in the space, but yeah, it's obviously gone. Today, I know. So.
1: It floats back and forth. We had this now already a couple of days. It seems as if they're testing some new um, setups and it's very inconsistent it's also terribly
2: yeah it is and also it keeps switching between the big blue button and the bottom right corner and that sort of stadium shape or a little um, speech bubble it's very it's very confusing and actually it switches in the same space sometimes anyway um yeah right uh oh the stadium is back up i see very well right uh, apparently, uh went up in air for the 25th time today. I was asking, him especially, Hassan had about this yesterday, and he wasn't sure how many times he knew it was 20 something, but apparently, it is now 25. All right, and do have any hands up. Um, oh, BSL.
8: good afternoon, Doman and Axel, everybody else, or depending on your time zone, a different time. Um, Doman, so you said 25th time already, but that was a question I was coming up Look, for?
2: Looks looks like it. Yeah, looks like it is indeed number 25, but it's very difficult to keep track. So we had a chat, with special so about this yesterday. And basically, um, not all of the strikes were actually against the airport. Some were against Russian installations next to the airport. So it depends on how you wish to keep the accounts. If you want to keep it, the airport separate from the other installations next to the airport, or if you want to uh, bundle it all together. I think that's... Uh, uh, that that's kind of what it comes down to. It's a it's a question of definitions. Um, <laughs> so.
8: so to latch on to that, um, you you said some ammunition dumps were exploding, or have been exploded.
2: Yes, abso- absolutely, absolutely, uh, Several in Donetsk Oblast, uh, as well as one in Novokhovka, so upstream from Herson on the Dnipro. Yeah, there's lots of excellent. There's lots of excellent video. There's lots of excellent video footage from uh, pretty much around uh, Russian occupied territories in Ukraine uh, of ammo dumps going up in flames. I believe there was another one in Makiivka on top of the one yesterday, if I remember correctly, as well as one in the Baltseva. The Baltseva is a, a city very notable for um, its 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 role in the 2014-2015 uh, period of war in eastern Ukraine. Uh, and has been behind Russian lines for a long while now, uh, and uh, there was a seemingly quite a large ammo dump there. Then went up in flames as well, uh, which which is good. It it is very impressive and you know very gratifying to see uh, the excellent effect that HIMARS and other Western artillery systems that have been sent to Ukraine um, gets to have on the demilitarization of Russian troops in specifically eastern Ukraine. Uh, but also elsewhere in the occupied territories, and we can only hope that more of these HIMARS and MLRS M270 systems are going to be delivered uh, to Ukraine as the next couple as the next couple of weeks go on. Uh, as that would mean more and more of these ammunition dumps uh, and other logistics hubs, uh, as well as um, you know command posts and areas where artillery or Russian artillery or Russian armor. Uh, congregate, let's say, uh, can be dispensed with
3: as well.
8: I've seen, uh, for your information, Dom, I've seen some requests on Telegram that they, the official list where, you know, where the, the people, how many Russians killed, tanks and whatnot, they should add an ammo dump, uh, especially and I think for, for Chernobylka uh, as well. O- the only thing which hasn't gone up in count, I think, is the the platoon crossings. It's a bit low still, ten only.
2: Yeah, no, no, you're you're probably right. Um, keeping proper accounts of all of these matters would be a would be a very good idea. And um, yeah, um, so something something else quite interesting. And I, I don't know if this is if this is clear to everyone, but um, u missiles. As far as Russians Russian official uh, notes are concerned. Uh, they say that only Ukrainians operate the Tochka U missiles. However, uh, was it either today or yesterday that a Russia propaganda channel actually showed a Tochka U missile being launched around Hulia removing that video soon after? Now, the, the availability of Tochka U missiles to the uh, Russian military has been kind of a hot button.